Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. As always, thanks for being here. I'm Stephen Henderson. We are here on the day before the night of the first presidential debate in the 2016 presidential contest. Huge, huge marker in every presidential campaign, that first debate. How will the the contestants do? How will the candidates do? How will the American public react to how the candidates do? Are they looking at substance? Are they looking at style? Are they being unfair in the way that they judge the people who want to be president? All our Uh, We're going to take your calls about the presidential debate tonight. What do you think about it? Are you really excited to finally see these two on stage squaring off against each other? Or do you think that it's going to be more of the sort of disappointing kind of rhetoric that we've seen so far and uh, you're not sure how things will turn out? Are you still not sure who you want to vote for and you're counting on the debates to help you decide? 313-577. 1019 is the number here in the studio to join the conversation, 313-577-1019. And I've got a special guest today to help us sort through not just the debate, but the campaign more generally and to talk about Detroit. It is his hometown as well. Uh, Detroit native Ron Fournier made his career writing about Bill and Hillary Clinton when Clinton, Bill Clinton was the governor of Arkansas. Then he moved to Washington, D.C. to work for the Associated Press as the Clintons moved in into the White House. Fournier went on to become editor-in-chief and senior political columnist for the National Journal and a senior political columnist for The Atlantic. He's had the kind of career that many journalists only can dream of. And now he's back home in Detroit. For the next phase of his career, he was named associate publisher of Crane's Detroit Business. Ron Fournier, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Steve. And welcome home. It's uh, a big deal. To be home as man, somebody finally. who uh, also left Detroit and went and did things uh, all over the country and other places, and then decided to come home. I can totally relate to how <laughs> you feel right now. We've uh, been talking about it since we left uh, going home, and we finally uh, the kids got in the right position. We got the nerve, and. Uh, we're loving it. It's yeah. a great. It's a great time to be living here. Obviously, around our family and and our, and our our friends here. But the, if journalistically, professionally, you can't think of a better city to be covering. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, when I came back in two thousand seven, I came back from Washington, and everybody there were laughed at me. They were like, "What's wrong with you? Why yeah. would you leave? Why would you leave Washington and all the great things that happen there to write about to go home to Detroit?" And I said, "This was at a really different time in Detroit's yeah. history, too. I mean, Good things were pretty dark here in Michigan. Everyone was leaving, uh, and people thought, uh, why would you do that?" And I said, "You know, it's home, A, uh, that matters, uh, and B, it is the kind of place where there are wonderful, wonderful stories to tell, uh, some awful stories as well, some really challenging stories, but there isn't another place like this in terms of the way that the news cycle just is unrelenting. I mean, I lived in Chicago and Baltimore and uh, covered Washington. It's not the same. Uh, there is something about this place that keeps, if you're a journalist, it keeps your blood flowing all the time. Yeah, amazing credit to, to, to folks like you who came back earlier and, and to the people who stayed here. Uh, you know, a lot of us left and, and like you said, made, made careers and lives elsewhere. Um, I'm finally coming back. Um, I'm coming back humbled. I don't know the city, even though I grew up in it um, and left it out of college. I don't know uh, the business community, even though I'll be covering it. Um, and I certainly don't know what it was like to be here uh, through the hardest years. But I know this, unlike Washington, where the story um, and the narrative and the way of life is fighting each other for position and only caring about one day, election day. 
There are uh, a majority of people in this community, business leaders, political leaders, civic leaders, who are working together to try to keep Detroit moving ahead and trying to rewrite um, a new chapter for Detroit and helping Detroit become whatever it needs to become in this next uh, century. And I just find that um, fascinating because it's it's not necessarily going to be a happy ending. Um, but if we all pull together um, and people like you and me hold the right people accountable, uh, we got a shot. Yeah. Uh, talk about what Detroit was like when you left. Uh, talk about growing up here in the city. Uh, and when you went away, what you thought uh, the city's future would look like. Well, I, I grew up uh, on the northeast side, was raised by a cop, um, and uh, my neighborhood uh, was part of white flight. My neighborhood moved to Macomb County um, while we stayed because of residency. If you remember back um, in right. the mid-80s. Right. Uh, you had to be uh, a you city, had to in the city to right? A cop. So yeah. my part of Detroit was called, at the time, Cop's Corner. Now, 48205 is now a much different place. Sure. Um, I snuck into the Gross Point schools. My, my family did. Um uh, after busing, my, my mother in particular was very much against, uh, desegregation, um, uh, got a good education, lived in Detroit, but was living a lie. Um, and so I, I came out of high school, got into the university of Detroit, um, and wanted to be a journalist. I'd been wanting to be a journalist since I was maybe seventh or eighth grade. I worked for every, <laughs> every weekly newspaper around the metropolitan area for free covering anything that they would let me cover. And, uh, when I got out of school, you know, we were middle of the recession um, the city was really divided um, racially. Um, there were no opportunities for a journalist. Literally, the only job I could find was in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I, I talk about Neil Shine, the, the former great uh, columnist and editor at the Detroit Free Press, who who taught a class of mine at, at U of D. Um, I asked him for advice. I said, you just tell me there's there's just a <laughs> chance that I can live, that I can work for the Free Press in the next couple of years. Not a chance. I'll stay in the city, sir. And he said, you better go to Arkansas. <laughs> um, totally so every, see Neil saying that. Exactly. <laughs> oh, and just like that. That's right. um, but we'd come back every six weeks, a uh, couple months. We kept ourselves really connected with our families here. And, you know, it was a very um, depressing place. And for the longest time, you, you experience this. You tell people you're from Detroit. They say, oh, you must be tough. Yeah, which, <laughs> right. of course, isn't the truth with me. Right. Now you say you're from Detroit. They say, oh, man, tell me about it. You must be kind of hip. You people must be cutting edge. People are super curious about yeah. what's going on. And it's, no it's around the world, by the way, not just the United States. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Ron Fournier. He is the new associate publisher at Crane's Detroit, Detroit Business, uh, former editor-in-chief and senior political columnist for the National Journal, senior political columnist for the Atlantic, we're talking about his return to his hometown of Detroit, uh, what that feels like, why he's back, what the city looks like to someone who's been gone for a long time. We're also going to talk about uh, the presidential cycle, the presidential election, and the big debate tonight, the first of the debates between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. If you want to join us uh, in the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. 313-577-1019. Are you looking forward to tonight's debate? Are you sort of anxious about it, maybe? A lot of Hillary Clinton supporters I know uh, sitting on pins and needles uh, these days, very eager to see how she does in this debate and whether it makes a difference with voters. Lots of voters still not being able to close the deal uh, with Hillary Clinton. Lots of liberal voters I know 
sitting on the fence thinking, eh, maybe she's not quite my candidate. Maybe I can't actually cast a vote for her. Again, the number is 313-577-1019. Tell us what you're looking forward to in the debates. Tell us what you're not looking forward to. Um, Ron, uh, you're back here in the in the city. Uh, talk about this new job and uh, how you see journalism shaping the, the the sort of landscape here in Detroit right now it is that's also different than it was when I came back uh, ten years ago or when I was a kid here in the seventies and eighties. Well, uh, my job is associate publisher of a Crane's Detroit business, so for the first time in my career, I'm now responsible uh, for helping on the business side for for helping right. to, to to make money, make find money. a way to make money for okay. for good journalism. Um, and I think it's a it, it's an interesting time and place to do it because there is, hasn't been a time in my lifetime anywhere in this country, but especially Detroit, where we've needed what I call accountability journalism. We need journalists that will stand up and say, this is wrong, and here's how you fix it. And we need journalists who will stand up and say, this is right. We need to bring it to scale. Um, there's a lot of both of those going on in, in this city. Um, and I, I think um, Crane's Detroit Business is one of the publications, yours obviously as well, um, that has a unique opportunity um, to be a leader in the, in, in the community, to speak truth to power, but also speak truth with power. Now, it's harder than it was when you and I were coming up because we used to be gatekeepers. Right. We decided what people heard. Um, we decided, more importantly, what people didn't read and write and hear. Um, people had to kind had to trust us. Um, now, with the democratization of media, with the internet, there are now 310 million publishers um, in this country. We are trusted less, so we have less influence. So I think we need to work harder um, to be relevant, to listen to our audience, to provoke our audience, uh, to think anew, and to take new action. And, and to do that in different ways and to experiment in how we tell stories and how we make money, by the way, um, and not be afraid of um, finding new revenues and telling hard stories. Yeah. Uh, are you optimistic about the city? Are you optimistic yeah. about journalism? And we've got a, a minute or so before the break here. Um, I'm optimistic about both, even though I have no idea where either is going to go. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, a great way to put it. <laughs> Um, I, I, I do think um, uh, Detroit's got to come back because if Detroit doesn't come back, the country doesn't have another great American century. And I don't think that either one of those things can turn out well unless we find a new way to make money off of a really solid accountability journalism that people trust. We yeah. have to come up with a new shared set of facts in this country. If we don't do that, Detroit is sunk. Uh, the country is sunk. Um, we as a people have to figure out. Um, um, how we're going to communicate with one another in a, in a new way. And that's one thing you're doing with this show, which I think is remarkable. Yeah, that's a great phrase, by the way. Shared set of facts. That explains everything about the rifts yep. I think we're seeing that have been opened up during this it, presidential it, it, If we can't share, um, if we don't have a shared mindset, shared in, 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 you know, intellectualism, um, we're sunk if, if we uh, if we're able to go into our own intellectual intellectual corners. And that's what's happening right now. All right. Uh, when I come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Ron Forney, associate publisher of Crane's Detroit Business. And stay with us on the phones. Next, we're going to talk about the presidential election, the campaign, the debates tonight, the things that people are saying and thinking about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. 313-577-1019 is the number to join that conversation. Stay with us on Detroit Today.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Ron Fournier. He is the new associate publisher at Crane's Detroit Business, a Detroit native who made his career writing about Bill and Hillary Clinton in the 90s when Bill Clinton, before the 90s, in fact, when Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas, moved to D.C., became editor-in-chief and senior political columnist for the National Journal and senior political columnist for the Atlantic. He is back in Detroit uh, to see how we're doing, uh, to see how journalism can help shape the fortunes of Detroit. Uh, We are talking about uh, the presidential cycle now, Uh, the presidential campaign this year, unusual by anybody's standards, outlandish by a lot of people's standards. And tonight we will see the first debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Uh, You want to give us a call, join the conversation, talk about what you're expecting from this debate, what you're expecting from the candidate. How much weight do you put on these debates uh, to help you make your decision about who you're going to vote for in November? 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Tom. Tom in Northwest Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, thanks for taking the call, Steve. Uh And also to Mr. Fournier, welcome back home. Thank you, sir. Call me around, please. And it's a great time in Detroit. Um, But, you know, in terms of the debate tonight, um, fortunately or unfortunately, depending upon, uh, I've got a date at the ballpark tonight, so I won't be... uh, (laughs) You'll be doing something more interesting, Tom. You're a smarter man than me. (laughs) What we're going to see tonight is we're going to see who is most presidential and who is, um, you know, has the sound mind and temperament to go into that most powerful seat in the world. And, you know, right now, from what I've seen starting out 15 months ago, I mean, it's only one person, and that's um, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Because, I mean, Mr. Trump, I mean, he's like a loose cannon. And, I mean, right now, um, you know, since he's changed handlers maybe about a month ago, (laughs) this is not the -the jack-in-the-box Donald Trump that we saw coming out of, <laughs> I, you know, jokingly, I All said, right. you know, they fixed him a cocktail of some Xanax and Valium. <laughs> and, you know, they, they kind of like put the real Donald Trump. They've got him. They've, they've got him on lockdown, huh, Tom? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks very much, as always, for that call, uh, okay. Tom. Uh, Ron, uh, Donald Trump is, we were talking during the break, Donald Trump really is uh, a challenging candidate to try to, to cover, to try to write about, to try to help voters understand what he's doing and what he's not doing. Jack in the box, I think, is a wonderful <laughs> phrase to describe the way uh, this, this campaign has unfolded on that side. Uh, talk about what you think we'll see tonight uh, behind a lectern uh, where he's got a sort of uh, match sort of style, I guess, uh, or gravity with Hillary Clinton. Well, that's a big question. Do we see the bigoted, racist, intemperate, bullying, um, bombastic um, celebrity um, who knows who shows little knowledge or interest in policy? Or do we see the, 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 the guy who, uh, his pollster, Kellyanne Conway, new com- campaign manager, as more tethered to a um, talking points and a teleprompter and show more reasonableness. The big dynamic tonight, and for the whole campaign, I think boils down to this. At a time when Donald Trump, despite all his flaws, has a chance to be president because the American public is really upset with politics and all of its institutions and wants change in the worst possible way. Hillary Clinton, 
could and is more likely to beat him despite her flaws because Donald Trump would give us change in the worst possible way. Um, and that's that's what uh, people are weighing is, is uh, you know, um, I really want change. I think most Americans will say, but how how much risk am I willing to take for that change? And Donald Trump has really shown the public so far um, that his kind of change would be really risky. Yeah. Uh, talk about what uh, in in the general sense of this uh, of this campaign, what you see as the sort of undercurrent here. I mean, we we talk a lot about what these candidates are saying. We talk a lot about. Um, we talk a lot about uh, the differences between the two, but there's something else really going on here in American culture, not yeah. just American politics. <clears throat> this is a, a a an historical marker, I think, where whatever happens in November, uh, come January, we're going to see a very different kind of America. I think. Yeah, let's talk about some of those things that are that we're in an inflection point with. Uh, we're to, this is a once in every hundred year period of change where you have huge economic transition on top of huge demographic change on top of a technological revolution that happens every eighty to hundred years in this country. Um, that creates a lot of anxiety because we're being forced to change, and the institutions that used to hold us together aren't adapting. Um, so what comes, uh, what we're dealing with now is a lot of distrust in all of our institutions. That's why we don't have a shared set of effects. We don't have referees in the media. Uh, there's really nothing that we really trust in, and we even trust each other less than we did. Again, there's parallels in history, but it's a pretty scary thing. Yeah. Um, and obviously one of them is race. And this is where uh, Detroit really is a, um, um, a laboratory for what's happening, happening nationally. You and I grew up in the same town. You and I grew up in completely different parts of the town, and not just and had really not just geographically. Yeah, yes, sir. Uh, uh, the kind of people we were raised by and around, um, the, the experiences that we had. We may even agree ultimately politically, you and I, um, but we get there a much different way. And you and I probably have a better, uh, are more open to talk about that than many other people in in the, in the city of Detroit. Again, that's a great thing you're doing with this show. But there's very few forums in the country where we can talk honestly and openly about our our mutual grievances and our mutual biases and try to overcome them. That is the really difficult uh, part of this is that uh, and you said before you had that wonderful phrase a shared set of facts. Right. We don't have that right no. now, not just here in Detroit but but nationally uh, and not just between black and white, but between rich and poor, uh, native born and immigrant, uh, Christian and Muslim. I mean there is a real Gulf that's just sort of opened up. Now, I would say it has been opened up by I agree. by specific people with uh, their rhetoric and their actions over a long period of time. Actually, I'll push back happen. a little bit. I think it's been there all along, um, but because of the democratization of the media, because we all now have a voice, we're now hearing each other. Now, we're not listening to each other, <laughs> but we're hearing the, the, that, gulf now, that gulf can now not be papered over by politicians and other leaders. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's now an open wound. We have to figure out how to close it ourselves as a people. We can't expect our leaders to do and, it. And I got to say, I'm really worried about that. I'm, I mean, I'm terrified. I, I, I worry for what's, what we're going to see in January or, or a year from January, and I worry about uh, you know five years from now or 10 years from now or 15 years from now. I, you know... The, the union has survived all of these kinds of uh, tumultuous sort of cultural changes that, right. uh, that have taken place. This one does seem different and more fundamental than one we've had maybe since uh, 1860 uh, when, when, you know, uh, it took a war to settle uh, those, those cultural differences. Uh, I, I don't know that I see the path forward is, I guess, what, 
what frustrates me. We don't see it forward. Let's look back at periods where we had this confluence of change and when democracy was kind of on the brink. Before you get to the Civil War, look at, look at the Gilded Age. Um, we had, again, you had huge technological change, huge economic change, huge demographic change. <clears throat> what if a guy like Huey Long had had the Internet? Right. See, that's what scares me. We've been through times like this, but we never had this radical connectivity where you could have a demagogue um, exploit our fears and amplify them. So Talk to people right in their homes. And, without, in, their, uh, and in the darkest part of their hearts. That's right. That's so right. what if Donald Trump, if you're someone who's opposed to Donald Trump or, or, or at least worries you, what if Donald Trump was better at covering up his biases and his, and, 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 uh, um, his you know, the, uh, all his flaws? What if we had a slicker version of a, of a Donald Trump. We now are, if, if we're not careful, and I don't want to just talk about Trump, this is happening on the left as well. We are very vulnerable to an American Mussolini. I'm not saying it's going to happen this election, but I, I don't think this election is about Donald Trump. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think it's about the people who are so angry they're, they're willing to give Donald Trump this series of a look. And those people and that anger is not going to go away right. until <clears throat> until it's somehow satiated in a more optimistic, affirmative way. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, uh, you can talk about it in economic terms, and I think that is... The, the, the sort of context that people want to put it in. But but as you point out, it goes beyond that. I mean, yeah. there is this racial issue that uh, that uh, continues to, to haunt us and that we seem unable to come to terms with how to get past this moment. Uh, that's the difficulty. How do you get from this moment to the next moment with the country intact? And uh, Although maybe we've taken the works. first step in a very awkward way, but because of the new media, we're being forced to deal with it now. We're, yeah. we're now being forced to have, or at least, at least hear these conversations. We haven't started listening yet, but boy, it's hard to avoid hearing um, the other side of the argument nowadays. Yeah. All right. Up next, uh, th- uh, we're going to hear from Glenn Washington uh, of Snap Judgment. He's going to be here in December. Uh, did an interview with him recently. Uh, I've got Ron Fournier here with me. I want to thank you for being here, Ron. Thank we'll you. have you back uh, to talk Please. about politics and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, and stay with us on Detroit Today. Also, get to the WDET uh, webpage or call 800-959-9338 to help keep this show and others like it on the air. Stay with us.